Okay, I'm here in Austin, Texas with my good friend Kevin G for a live, well, recorded but in-person podcast, the first ever recorded in-person podcast for The Joel Bind Show. We just spent some time adjusting some audio settings, and now we are experiencing and showcasing the act of imperfect creative action and shipping and not letting perfect become the enemy of good. So we have our audios here set up, um, but that isn't an invitation for you all as listeners, as you embark on any creative pursuits, is that good enough is almost always good enough. So I'm really excited to be joined by my good friend, Kevin G. He's one of my two close Kevin friends. I have a, a Kevin K friend, and we all share similar values and visions here. Uh, Kevin G is a deep thinker. He's passionate about parenting philosophy, and he shares this very similar vision to me in terms of voluntarism, consensualism, freedom, decentralization, a world without these top-down centralized government institutions, as well as a world based on healthy parenting practices. And that's where I really come alive having conversations with Kevin. We'll just go get barbecue in Texas and talk about parenting philosophy. Uh, even though we are both not yet parents, we are both aspiring parents, and we might get into that. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I want 10 kids. That's right. That's the goal. That's right. I think I want four kids. Um, I know there's a whole week. <laughs> there's a whole book that you've been in inspired by, by Brian Kaplan about reasons to have more kids, right? That's right. Selfish reasons to have more kids. It's an eye-opening book. Yeah. Um, it's on my list to read that one, but I've heard Brian talk about that. And I think we need, well, I'll just say it's, it's worth having kids and it's worth having kids in a, an intentional way, in a healthy way. And that, that seems to be the most life-serving, joyous thing to do in life. Um, now, maybe it's not for everyone. Maybe it's not a universal. But I think if you're in touch with your true self and you're in touch with like, the essence of what matters in life um, and you're, you're in this healed and whole, wholesome place, that that is a natural thing for the vast majority of people to then want to create. Again, I'm not you know, casting any uh, judgments on someone who chooses consciously to not have kids. I just think that when, when you do this self-integration work and the psychological work and you get in touch with your own inner child, then it's natural to want to go create a child, right? Yeah, it, I find it so exciting. The things that the child will push me to become Maybe push is not the right word, but all the endless questions, the unpredictability of who they'll become, what they'll do, and my ability to create a space for them to be whatever they want to be. And I just, I'm so excited by it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, I'm looking forward to that day where we both have, we have both have those kids running around and we're creating that environments, creating those environments for those kids to, to blossom, right? Like it's just the natural, natural life force is for 
for organisms to flourish and blossom, right? All life on this planet is just doesn't need it doesn't need you don't need miracle grow for a plant to grow. You don't need to put it in uh an industrial setting for it to grow. There's it's a natural natural force of life and yes, you want to create an atmosphere right for your child to to grow healthfully, right? You you want that atmosphere, that environment. In terms of you don't need to yank on that plant, right? You don't need to convince or coerce the child to learn and grow, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think another blocker for a lot of people that I don't have and I'm I think that creates a part of my excitement is I don't think that children actually need a lot as far as money or things. I think the love, a loving environment is pretty much, I mean, and you need some food and water like and sunlight, just like a plant. So you need the basics, but you don't need a million dollars per child or what, you know, I, I think this, there have been these memes that have integrated into society that are actually stopping people from fully enjoying life and children. Yes, this sort of segues into one question I want to start with for you, which is the origin of your curious mind. I'm always curious when I meet other curious people, how they reactivated their curiosity, if you will, or maybe you never reactivated, maybe you never lost it at all. I think, you know, we grow up in this culture and we're discouraged when we go to especially government school to to squelch that curiosity. But the natural child is asking why, 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 why? And so this is one quality in you that I've always appreciated and admired is you you want to check premises as a thinker, as a philosopher, and asking, well, how do you know that's the way to do it? Or why are we assuming that? Why are we assuming this? Um, and so that's what's interesting about our parenting conversations and we'll get into that a little bit more, but tell me about your kind of origin with this journey of thinking and pursuing truth. Well, yeah, first I just want to say thanks. I, I appreciate that you see that and you appreciate that in me because I, I really value that in myself and I, I value it in other people too. And I, so I hated school. I went to public school and it's really funny that the kind of simple answer is that I... I don't like being told what to think. And actually, it's interesting. I never read much at all during school. I mean, I read the required readings and I only started reading after I graduated, which is, I think, just so says so much in and of itself. I found it just, I I, I like, there's this uh, great book by um, Javier Demestre, I think is his name. I think he was French. And it's called A Journey Around My Room. So he was imprisoned in his own room for, I forget the reason. And he said, well, I have this room for however many months and I'm just going to enjoy the room and my mind in the room. And anyway, he has this great line in there about um, how the beauty of just following whatever interests you and any feeling that you have of, you know, oh, I, I wonder why that is, or I want to do that, to just follow that is a beautiful feeling. And I think actually reading that in and of itself influenced me. That's a wonderful book. 
it has a lot of other really interesting you read lessons. That at what age? I'd say probably early twenties, okay. and that's when I did most of my formative reading. I would say. So you finished, you know, K through twelve school and then college, right? And then right. as you became an independent, I imagine you started seeking out more information. Yeah, it, I mean, I did seek out a little bit during school, but it was I was more just kind of de- I was too depressed to really blossom intellectually until I released the yoke of the schools. The schools really, I, I was just constantly annoyed by them. So, yeah, and it really kind of makes me a little sad of all the years that I could have, if I was in a oh, yeah. healthy environment, and it's such formative, important years, and your your mind is so on, and I feel a little sad that I missed those years, but, you know, it whatever. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the invitation, you know, when we begin to introspect and understand what happened to us in this culture from parenting and schooling specifically, and and you integrate that and you reconnect to the curiosity, which, by the way, I believe curiosity is healing mm. energy. To be curious and to create both those C words, curiosity and creativity, is a form of healing from especially the school system that's teaching us the opposite lessons. So when you start to to return to that that true self and then you realize what what the culture did to you, right? There's a mourning process. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, thank you for like that I guess reminder that it's it's yeah, it's bringing a little bit of sadness to me too that man, it's not just the 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 costs and the damage of going through all these systems it's the opportunity costs yeah man what if what if that 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 child that childlike curiosity that we had when we were three four then that just kept going and there's no assigned homework and no assigned reading and no assigned no mandatory anything you're free you're free to go follow that wonderment and that curiosity, but it is what it is, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like this process of of acceptance. And then there's a joy as an a new type of joy in a sense, like, okay, like I feel a joy about, oh, I get to to integrate these parts of myself and I get to return to that true self. Now I get to like with this podcast to share that with more people. And we how can we inspire people to come back to wholeness in their true self and create these new paradigms, right? So would you say that um, those early 20s, you started seeking out new ideas and started seeking out podcasts, you started seeking out information about philosophy. I know we were listening to the early Stefan Molyneux. We were both listening to him, even though we, at the same time, even though we never met each other until 10 years later or whatever. But those like 2006 2008 podcasts and we we both have qualms with him him now and you even got into uh an argument with him recently right yeah (laughs) on on his on his live session but um you know the early episodes about philosophy and questioning your parents right and this is dovetails off of the series that i just recorded that just came out 
everyone listening the past three episodes on questioning your parents. And I think this episode with Kevin here is, can help kind of put a, a stamp on that. And so I know we had similar experiences in our early and mid twenties with, we're about the same age. You're, you're a few years older than me. Um, in our early mid twenties with starting to grok and question and understand what happened in our parenting and, and schooling experiences, but, but in particular the, the, the parenting experience, tell me more about that introspection process and what kind of came about from there. Yeah. I think it was that curiosity ultimately must lead to a curiosity about your origin story and how you developed and why. And so that I think plus Stefan just led naturally to questioning everything about who I am and what created me and the environment in which I grew up and my relationship with my parents. Things like when my mom would call me that feeling of, I don't want to pick up. And I think when people, or I should say, when I feel that, first of all, it's just, it's, it's an emotion that I accept as my emotion. I mean, I don't have this anymore after talking to my parents, but when I had that, I think part of me thought, well, what is happening here? This something isn't right. It's unresolved. And that there's this huge chasm between what you want to talk about with parents often, I think most people like myself, and what you think you can talk about. And that took me years to cross that chasm. And then finally, I had sit down conversations with both my mom, and my dad, many sit down conversations. And it's interesting looking back on it. I so my mom and I are very close. Now when I get a now I'll call my mom and just see, hey, what's up? When she calls me, I'm excited. Uh, unfortunately, I don't talk to my dad anymore. Well, I should say he doesn't talk to me anymore. I've tried to repair that, but he's he actually moved. So originally, I was born in Ukraine. We came as refugees to the U.S. and he's actually moved back to Russia now. He divorced my mom and moved back. So yeah, this has been a long process, but the one interesting question, and I'm curious what you think about this, I still don't fully have an answer to this, is whether I could have done everything that I did with my parents just in my own mind. Because I look back on it and I wonder how much of it was just me in the sense that my mom, so we, I think, worked out well because she is so, so open to, she just loves me and I could feel it. She, well, I mean, that gets deep, but she, no, no matter how difficult of a conversation was, she was there. She listened and she, and she really connected with some things that she would want, would have wanted to do differently. And but I wonder whether that would have been the case anyway if I had just decided in my own mind. And then I wonder about whether I would have lost my dad and what I have lost. So I know I've gone on a bit of a tangent here, but I think there's an interesting question there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the journey of life. You can always look back in the rearview mirror and say, what if I made this slightly different decision? But no matter what decision you had, would have made or did make, you can always go back in the rearview mirror and say, what if I didn't like this? Right? Yeah. So my gut response to that question is, for me personally, I don't see how I could have done it 
without actually talking to my parents. Um, I mean, I think we might have had the same experience where it was several years of introspection before having the conversations. Oh yeah. For me, it was four. No, it was really, um, it was really six, seven years of entertaining the possibility of, I mean, I I won't get into the whole story, but it was really, especially probably a good four or five years of, of starting to get in touch with my own dreams when I'm, when I became my own independent person at age 22 and went out into the world and moved across the country and starting to process what happened to my parents just in my dreams. That was like the first step for me. Um, and then it wasn't until four more years later that I actually had those conversations. And yeah, I think, I don't think there's universal necessarily for everybody, but I think the, the default for most people is to avoid the conversations, oh, yeah. right? And so I think it, it behooves people to consider what am I av- avoiding and evading in my relationship with my parents specifically? In all relationships. I mean, all of my relationships got questioned. Yeah. I'm sure you as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I started really connecting to my true self and thinking about following that curiosity fully. So for the sake of time, we won't, you know, uncover the entire tale. But tell us how, tell us a little bit about that chasm and, and crossing that chasm and coming out the other side where, and by, by the way, I think both of us, I wanted to say the thing about the the seeing your your mom's name on the caller ID, that is a great gauge for everybody. Those are one of the best nuggets of wisdom I got from all of you early on. It's like, look, when when someone calls you and you see their name, what's the involuntary response you have? And so for years it was that dread. I dreaded those phone calls. And then finally for me, I had that shift. Um, two years ago, or now it's qualitatively different feeling when I see that name on the phone. But tell us about how you crossed that chasm. There was a lot of therapy that both just, you know, inner thought and also doing therapy with therapists that helped a lot. Well, I, I was kind of pushed into the chasm in a lot of ways because it was, I had set some boundaries. So first it started with setting boundaries with my parents. And everything changed when one of those boundaries was crossed. And then I, I had the self-confidence and the, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess self-confidence would be the, the phrase to use that as the, the moment to do it. Although in a, in a lot of ways, I think it's risky to wait for it's almost like I, I felt like I had a reason to do it, whereas I think I always had a reason to do it. But I was using the fact that I didn't have a specific reason, like them wronging me in some way. I was using that as an excuse not to confront everything. So, but nevertheless, I I finally got the strength through that when they crossed my boundary that we had agreed to. So that was the thing that, got me, well, it didn't push me into the chasm. It pushed me to the chasm (laughs) and then I could finally confront the chasm. So yeah, I think one kind of related to your point is that being comfortable with authenticity and just going for it rather than waiting for some event 
I, I, that's a piece of advice I would give to myself back then. Yeah. And so you, you worked through some conversations, didn't work out with your father, but worked out with your mother. And it's like moving through that courage to be authentic then allowed you to get to the other side of the chasm where you could look at the caller ID and feel different feelings. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that I would say also connected with when I started to really, first of all, it relieved a lot of the d depression that I had. And also that's when I really started to want to have kids. So I, I, I think it's totally connected. Yeah, it's, a, it's totally connected and it's a nice little springboard for us to, to move to talking more about parenting philosophy. But yeah, I just want to echo for everyone listening that, yeah, that confrontation process. Yeah, there's not a prescription here for what that means. The The real invitation is to follow the curiosity, right? Is to ask the questions, is to follow the self-knowledge trail, to be honest with yourself about what is the feeling you're having when you get that phone call and you see the caller ID. And if there's uncomfortable feelings, then will you ask the questions? And starting by asking, and then maybe answers will come. And then, at the, you know, it's the growth process, you know, going back to your point about, did I need to actually vocalize and confront versus could I have figured it out? Again, I still think for the vast majority of people, there's, there's a lot of value in actually expressing things. But looking back for me, it's, it's so much about the growth process in one way or the other. It's the hero's journey. It's what person am I becoming? Am I becoming the fullest version of myself? Am I, am I becoming, returning back to that curious, creative child who's empowered to speak truth rather than kind of self-sacrificing, right? As Ayn Rand would, would call it like living a secondhand life and kind of evading the truth and then pushing back that true self and then go along to get along, right? So it seems like now you feel much more free to be authentic around people. Yeah, I'm glad I did it. The only part of it is that I'm just sad of what I lost. So it, but personally, I'm, I'm really glad I did what I did. I, yeah, I just have that question about could I have done it differently? But I think you're right. I think if I had done it differently, I don't think I would have had as much personal growth. And you, you noticed the fruits of that labor? Yeah, it wasn't immediate, but I think, yeah, within a year of that. And it also just helped me build confidence in kind of exploring anything because that's kind of the big thing is if you have some issue with your childhood or your parents it's i think it's a blocker for a lot of other things and unblocking that whatever you however you decide to unblock it another way to think about it, i was recently talking to someone and this idea of scratching itches i think that's really important like intellectual itches now, and then he made a comment, which is kind of dovetails into my question about could I have done it differently, is sometimes you shouldn't scratch a niche, like it might make a bug bite worse. So, but nevertheless, I think itches either need to be somehow confronted 
whether or not they're scratched. <laughs> this is kind of a weird yeah, analogy, well, it, but it, it goes back to being conscious and acknowledging cost benefits and letting go of like what is letting go of the sh word as i like to call it now (laughs) s-h-o-u-l-d um because there's no right way to do it but are you conscious of any parts of you that are afraid Mm -hmm. to speak truth so but yeah i mean just to give people i think both of us resonate with this idea of like crossing and finishing that that chasm and or that hero's journey or that leg of the hero's journey and experiencing the benefits and the fruits. Um, and yeah, there's way more healthy relationships in my life now. There's way more authenticity and openness and, and relationships that are built on core values. I, I sought those out. And for me, taking taking several years away from my parents as it ended up being, I created a lot of this space in my life, psychological yeah. space, if nothing else, let alone just like, okay, I'm not going to invest Sundays making those phone calls anymore. And then psychologically just feeling free and open to go in any direction I wanted to go and not, not psychologically being weighed down. And so that individuation process and then, okay, who are those people in my life I want to bring in now that I have the psychological space? And I don't think, my hypothesis is that if I hadn't confronted my mom, I would have stayed in this cocoon and I wouldn't have sprouted those wings to go bring in so much of the joy I experience now. Does that resonate? Yeah, totally. That makes sense. One thing, thought that I wanted to share that comes to mind, yeah, I brought up chasm, but I, I think that's actually not a great way to look at it because a chasm is this imposing kind of hard to overcome thing. And it just popped into my head. There's this great quote, quote from Immanuel Kant where he talks about an uncertain leap over the smallest ditch. And I think that's a better way to look at it because we think of it as a chasm, but it's actually a pretty small. Yeah, it's a, it's a mile long and an inch deep. And that leap is uncertain. It's, it's a yep. very, like you said, that individuation process, it's, it's, it's not easy in some cases and yeah it's but as it's a wonderful essay by Kant I've, I've trying to remember the name How dare right you now. value Kant's work <laughs> <laughs> yeah I have no comment on Kant's <laughs> philo- metaphysics no, this is the beauty of philosophy is like how can I find how can I find value in everyone exactly that's another beauty of curiosity is yeah. not coming into everything with oh just because it's some person that I've heard something negative about, there's nothing to learn from. And that, I don't, even if let's just suppose Kant is the worst philosopher ever, maybe he's totally negative and bad. And I don't know, I don't really have, know much about him. Um, but that line alone sticks yeah. with me. I mean, it's there such a, it, just an amazing line. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about parenting. And to, to sew these two, perhaps, portions of the episode together, again, I think it's worth noting that if you have that courage to do the individual individuation process and move into that authentic self through really processing your and perhaps confronting your relationship with your parents, 
then you can break. This is the courage has like a potential to break cycles. This is what I get fired up about is framing it like this is this is about breaking this unconscious cycle. Because when we evade the truth, the psychological truth about our childhood and our relationship with our parents, we end up perpetuating. Almost everyone in this culture is largely parenting how they were parented, even if they might make a slight shift here and there, or they go the opposite of how they're parented. But really what we want is to start from first principles and not have biases coming in and processing and healing our childhood so that we can start from that clean slate as much as possible and say, what are those principles and premises of healthy parenting? How do I view this child? Does the child own himself? What is the philosophy of learning and education? So I'll just give you, just give me a, just give me a, I'll just volley back to you in an open-ended way. Like what, how do you view healthy parenting? Yeah, great question. I will admit that I haven't done a full deep dive. I kind of been, you know, waiting until I have a, you know, a woman. <laughs> but I think one doesn't need to do a deep dive into things that are core to life. I think if we are psychologically healthy, we can just kind of introspect sometimes and start off with some observations such as the child did not choose to be born. And I think that's a really important place to start because, and I got this from Stefan, but we could talk a little bit about the whole idea of treating the child as a customer and I, the, some of the issues with that, and I think valid critiques of that. But I think there's an insight there of bending over backwards for the child that because they didn't choose to be born. And I, what are the actual contours of that? I don't really know yet, but I think it makes things different than just a roommate or, you know. So, yeah, as far as the philosophy, I think trying to make everything as voluntary as possible and also give not just the thing is with voluntary is sometimes you can control the choices subconsciously or indirectly so for example just be, it's not enough to just give the child oh you can either go to bed at 9 p.m or 10 p.m you choose that's yes that's technically voluntary but why have I set those parameters? So I think questioning everything is a good place to start. Yeah, the the premise checking, this is, again, your strong suit. And I I kind of like that you haven't dived deep into maybe the parenting books. I've, I've read a bunch of parenting books in my journey. And at the same time, <laughs> you know, the vast majority of, of even those parenting authors are not checking these premises mm -hmm. fully, right? There's these the unchecked premises about principle of self-ownership and that sort of radical approach to, approach to choice as opposed to sort of couching choice in uh, a few select choices that the parent dictates, right? So there's a lot of premises like we need to get the child to go to bed. And there might be a lot of parenting authors that might have a lot of 
much better strategies than the straight up conventional authoritarian do as I say, no matter what, without any wiggle room uh, or whatever. But we need to question these premises of like, why does the child need to go to bed at a certain time? I mean, if you don't question the premise, then you're not conscious about it. Again, it could be the case that there are, here's the top three reasons that make sense and blah, blah, blah. But if you're not willing to ask the questions, then you're not starting from first principles, right? Yeah. And I look at it as the child is inviting me to explore all of my premises. And, And that's one thing that makes me really excited about children in general is that they don't come in with any premises. I mean, they might start picking them up outside the house or whatever, but at least initially, they might have some instincts or gut feelings, but they're going to ask why about everything. And I think that's great. I think leaning into that, exploring all the options with the child, not just I'm going to go read a million books and then give them an options, but actually discussing every option that I found with a child. And yeah. yeah. And that's the foundation for a building interpersonal joy over the years. I mean, I mean, how incredible, man, talk about opportunity costs for most parents when these conventional paradigms and the schooling paradigm as well gets in the way of, of joyous interpersonal foundations where imagine where the world, where there's just flourishing adult child and parent relationships, right? Because it's been built since the beginning on health healthy relating and mutual trust and respect, then that's an incredible thing. So there's an opportunity. Every parent has the opportunity to ask what relationship am I building from day one, you know? And so including the child in that curiosity and and seeing the child as someone to learn from. That's one of the best mindsets. Like, huh, wow, look at this wondrous child who's, doesn't have any doesn't have any assumptions doesn't have any conditioning right at the beginning there's no conditioning um i guess you could argue that some people will have conditioning in the womb um if things aren't processed but that aside like you see this child now there's an there's the the nurturing opportunity how can you see the child as someone to learn from because yeah especially child yeah i mean especially you know we didn't get that chance generally speaking right we we were not seen like that so even more so it's an opportunity to learn if you take that mindset oh huh how can i how can i become more alive and whole through through adopting this beginner's mind or this curiosity mind like there's an there's an opportunity for even more growth for the parent too. Yeah. Yeah. I had this thing that I created years ago called Be Like Child. And it was it was not nothing very philosophical. We would just meet at a park and oh, right. d- have childhood games. And but the thing I found most interesting about it was and we had all ages from twenty to fifty and we had like a couple dozen people come out and we would play hide and seek and tag and whatever. And what I found so fascinating was seeing a different side of people that you normally don't see. And they're just, you see them truly like a child. And they were, 
And then what was really interesting was when we would take breaks between games, how quickly many of them would bounce back to, oh, what do you do for work? And and you can see it physically in their bodies and their faces. That child went away and they're back to being an adult. And I'm going to ask adult questions. And that was fascinating. I think to your point, there's so much to learn from children. It, it's almost like I'm going to learn a lot more than the child is even going to learn. So let's go back to this customer customer metaphor. So Isaac Morehouse was on the podcast a few weeks back, and I presented this point to him that I had got from you about what if you see the child as a customer and seeing because there's a premise that the child did not choose to be born, then do you actually expect them to do chores, for example? Now... Isaac's response was very pointed, you could say, uh, and rejecting that metaphor, I, I, I would say, because you, his trying to steel man his perspective was that it's not like a customer at all because a customer is there for a very specific reason in a business transaction. If you're, let's say it's a restaurant, you want that person to be delighted by this dinner and all of their other elements of life are not your responsibility as a business person, right? You want to delight them in this very specific thing they're there for. And it's not your responsibility to think about nurturing them as this person who's going to go out into the world and become self-responsible. And so as a parent, you need to be fostering certain mindsets or approaches to, to taking on life's day-to-day -day responsibilities, such as, you know, cleaning up the kitchen or whatnot. Um, and so you have a very, very important responsibility to, Isaac didn't use this word shape, but, um, to kind of, to foster that, that growth for the child so that he becomes independent right over time. Um, but here's the thing about metaphors is that metaphors simultaneously reveal and conceal truth. So this is where it gets juicy with being a philosopher. It's like, okay, how do we see, maybe there's some truth here in this customer metaphor to find value in and to, if nothing else, to invite us to think more clearly and deeply and vividly. So I would say that there is value to, to find in this customer metaphor because it really spotlights the premise about the fact that the, the child didn't choose to be born. Now, a customer chooses to enter the restaurant so in that sense, it conceals truth. It's not the same. It's not analogous. Look, the, the, the parent-child relationship is not analogous to any other relationship. It's not analogous to a customer. It's not analogous to a roommate. The question is, how do we start maybe entertaining? What, what is the value of this customer metaphor? And maybe it's, it's recognizing that there's a place to, how do you find a way to delight your child, right? How do you find a way to, to appeal to intrinsic motivation? And this is where I'm like, I'm super radical. And I think we're, we're both radical about this intrinsic motivation thing. Yep. Where I think we could talk, we could talk maybe separately about what are the value of chores? And I would even question what is a chore, first of all? <laughs> what beliefs do we have about the word chore? What charge do we have in our bodies about the word chore that has to be drudgery? There's all beliefs there. Um, so... The point is, how do we invite intrinsic motivation, right? 
Yeah. And I think another aspect beyond that they didn't choose to be there is that they can't leave. And I think that's, and another dimension is the relationship between the parent and the child. So if, if I'm making demands about chores that must be done, that changes the nature of the relationship. If they're not agreeing to it, if, if they don't want to, they don't have the intrinsic motivation to do it. And I, I, I often go back to burden of proof. So yes, it could be true that if kids don't do chores, then they will not learn some critical aspect of uh, responsibility in living in society. That could be possible. However, why not start with the, why not put the burden of proof on that argument and instead first just do all the chores and then see if they, whether I try to make chores fun just for myself and they notice that and they go, oh, that is something that daddy does and that looks interesting. I'll go help daddy, like to your point about intrinsic motivation. So I don't see why I should start with defining chores before even giving them the chance to do what they want to do. Yeah, what's coming to mind for me is like, at some point, the child wants to become independent. And I remember, I remember at some point when I was about 10, like before I was 10, I, my parents always tried to, to compel me to, to take a shower or a bath. And it was like, it was like this struggle. <laughs> and then at some point I realized, wait, I want to take a shower because that'll affect the girls better. <laughs> or yeah. And it was just like, from that moment on, it was just like, no, there was no question. I was, I was completely motivated to do it because it came from within. And it seems similar with anything where I think uh, those early years, especially, we can just, yeah, just... Maybe it's not black or white, but um, maybe maybe the parents take on certain tasks. Let's call it tasks that are we'll call it maintenance tasks for a functional home. And the question is, premise is what? Why does, does a seven year old need to have a a made bed? Is there any like certain thing that must occur? But it, getting back to this this letting go of expectations and demands and moving towards cost benefits. Mm -hmm. and intrinsic motivation and and the why. So if the child sees the why, like I saw the why for myself, eventually just from my own, my parents didn't convince me. It came from within. I saw the why for taking a shower. Um, at some point it seems the child's going to want to, you know, at some point they'll see, oh, I want to be out on my own at some point. Hmm, what does that take to do that? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's that, and there's like, if you're just modeling, like modeling is everything. Yeah. You're just modeling. Okay. Um, I'm taking care of this. I'm going to sweep the floor here. And, you know, your child sees you sweeping the floor. Like, it's it's almost, A, they're going to at some point want to help. They're going to just note it, especially if their curiosity is respected. They're going to be, they might ask themselves why, what's the point of sweeping the floor? Like they'll ask why continually yeah. and they'll figure out because you're creating the environment of complete radical curiosity and no appeals to authority, but rather, well, why do we sleep? Let's talk about it. Is yeah. there any benefit, you know? 
Yeah. And also just to riff on that, tying back to this idea of learning from the child, if I have some chore that I feel needs to be done and I'm doing it while I'm moping and, and I could make that chore more fun. Like, you know, a child might look at something and just have this childlike feeling of that looks boring or not fun, maybe because they're right. Maybe certain chores could be more fun with singing or whatever, I don't know, jumping around (laughs) and not to create, not to do that to entice the child, but to actually do that to have more fun in life. Yeah, it's like from a neurological perspective, what neural associations could begin to take root that are integrating fun and play into these tasks. Let's I, Again, I'm choosing the word tasks because I know I still have more of my own neural associations with the word chore um, as a negative connotation. Um, so like brushing your teeth, which is one of the examples Isaac used. Like, well, he said, well, well I don't like brushing my teeth as an adult, but I do it. And what if from the get-go, like, Brushing your teeth is a not forced on on you, which it was forced on me. I don't know about you. Yeah. Um, that we don't have those negative associations, mm-hmm. and then it's like an invitation. Well, how you know? Do you want to brush your teeth? You see, like, what if we dance to this music while we did it? Now, maybe this gets into like some of these premises that listeners might have coming up in their minds, like, oh, well, the child's just not going to want to. You guys don't know. You don't have kids. Uh, the child's just not going to want to brush his teeth. And it's just one of those things you just got to like, you just got to like twist the arm a little bit. And again, it goes back to premise checking because it's like, well, why is it, why does the child not want to brush his teeth? What's, is there insecure attachment? Is there other things that are actually the root cause of that lack of desire? Well, and even... It, question that premise, how do I know that brushing teeth is good? And I think I should have a good answer for that if that's something that I want to propose and taking that as an opportunity to go do the research. And, you know, I know there's some, some people that think that brushing teeth is not necessary if you have a good diet. It's funny because this has actually been in the back of my mind lately because I'm like, wait, I've just been brushing my teeth twice a day forever. And I've never actually looked into that. <laughs> <laughs> this is what gets me so excited about children because I haven't either. And I would love, I mean, I should just do it. There's no reason I couldn't do it now. But there is something different about asking someone else to do something or even suggesting someone to do something where that's creating a certain, a different, uh, you know, obligation. On, well, it doesn't have to be obligation, but so I, I love the concept of children making me question everything. And uh, so on the flip side of children encouraging us to be more like children, I think parents can encourage children to be more adult-like. And so, for example, to show them how to do research, to yep. do pro and con analysis, risk and benefit. You know, these are advanced concepts. Yeah, it could be like, hey, there's this thing, like, I don't know, the kid's four or something. I don't know when the kids will really start brushing teeth. Maybe earlier, but... Well, let's just, let's just say there's at some point there's a conversation opportunity. Hey, let's talk about this. You want to talk about this brushing your teeth thing? Um, what do you think? And then do you want to do research? Like, huh. I wonder if there's a difference between people who eat purely healthy food versus people who eat standard American diet and the mm-hmm. necessity of brushing teeth. Uh, that's just a question. Yep. Right. 
I mean, it's literally just coming to mind right now. Like what if from birth you never ate any processed food and you only ate like carnivore and whatever clean your whole life? I mean, it, it I, it's totally possible that there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, unconsciousness in the whole dental industry that's just like it's they're reaping their rewards based on the fact that people are eating standard american diet um and these protocols like i don't even know i've never looked into it yeah me neither um maybe that's an opportunity to like research with the kid yeah um but here's another thing i want to bring in is the feelings and needs there's also an opportunity to express feelings and needs and make requests and when you have a secure attachment with the child and you have a healthy base and you're respecting the child's autonomy from the get-go, and people can call me idealist all they want. I, I, I love you for all your 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 labels. I, I, it's okay. I'm, gonna, I'm speaking about first principles here. If you actually raise the child healthily from the beginning, then there's so much trust interpersonally. Then maybe it's the case that the, the child doesn't quite Maybe they don't they don't feel motivated to do a certain task. And maybe as a parent, you part of you feels worried. Oh wait, like I'm worried because I want my kid to be healthy and I'm wanting reassurance that, you know, I'm going to be raising them effectively so that their health is intact. You know what you could do is tell their child, hey, you know, when you said that I don't want to do this, I felt fear in my body. And I'm really just noticing that there's this need I have to ensure that you're healthy. Can we talk about that? And then and then maybe more specific requests could be at some point, would you be willing to brush your teeth? And again, a true request in, in non-involved communication is being willing to hear no, right? But you could still make a, a genuine request of the child. And my sense is that if, there's so much trust and vibrancy between parent and child and you're sharing your feelings and needs, even if the child doesn't quite get why the, the full, full reason for brushing the teeth, he or she might still want to do it anyway because they love you so much. Mm-hmm. They might want to do it just for you. And it's not like you even need to appeal to that reason. It's just like, hey, I'm feeling this and I'm wondering if like, I, that would really, I, I could be incorrect about this thing. Maybe it's not necessary to do it, but I'm wondering if you're willing to do it right now. And then if they say no, you could to keep talking about it. Like the 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 point is to like let's have conversations. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think that's more important than anything. And I think this is where it is important to bring up Brian Kaplan's book, which so there's some debate about the evidence there, but it, one of the conclusions of that book, I highly recommend anyone interested in children reads it, is that. Parents actually, other than doing damage, the effects that parents seem to have is much more short term. And a lot of these things that seem dramatic and important to us may not be. And the one thing that is really important is our relationship with our child. And that gets to your point of making sure that that never gets broken in the love and openness and voluntary nature of that relationship so that these things that might not even matter in the end don't overwhelm that relationship. I think that's such a critical insight to not be stressed as a parent 
that, oh, I'm going to make this mistake and my child's going to be damaged forever. There's actually pretty good evidence that that, unless you do abuse, that that is uh, not likely to happen. So, yeah, I mean, I haven't read the book. I definitely have questions about that claim that there might be more granularity to examine. Um, but I, I can also interpret it charitably and see the value there in relaxing, just relaxing about the minutia and like focusing on the interpersonal space. Is there trust? And if there any, if there's ever a rupture, are you repairing that? Yeah. That's what matters more than anything. Yep. And it's just, it's tragic that, I mean, one of the, the tragic things about my childhood was how often things got left unsaid mm -hmm. and then unmentioned after the fact, after there was ruptures, after there were episodes of strife in various ways. And then the next morning, be, I'm just feeling bewildered because no one's talking about anything. I'm just yep. like, wait, what? Are we like, it's just, no, we don't talk about, we're not, like it's completely implicit that we don't actually talk about these things. Um, and so that's, that was a chronic, that was a chronic damage to not repair those ruptures, but just focusing on that, that fundamental of what is the relationship with the child and making that in the foreground. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really helpful to, to recognize that let's kind of bring it back to the, the self-integration work of your own, psychological inner healing and so forth that and the integration of philosophy and psychology, right? So these premise checking when people are operating on certain premises about the child must be like this, or the child can't learn on his own, or I blah, blah, blah. So much of that is just, it's just un, unprocessed childhood experience of your own. And if we can get curious again, then we can, we can integrate these parts of ourselves that, we're treated certain ways and then we can actually be again on this clean slate. Right. Yeah. It, it's so exciting to me. Tell me about more about that. Cause I want to, I want to hear more about your visions for what's possible for humans. Um, cause this is, you know, we haven't talked about this yet, but you know, we have, we both share what's called political philosophy as well as these, these parenting philosophy and these first principles of respecting the the child's is 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 an autonomous being, and that scales up to a world that is founded on respect of the individual and creating cohesive, coherent, um, wholesome paradigms that are not based on obedience to authority, right? From these these government institutions and and so forth, and creating a bottom-up, trust-based, decentralized systems. And that's where we can really flourish, and that's what I'm fired up about, and I, I believe you share that. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of excitement on both the personal and the macro, right? Yeah. Because we can have all these joyous relationships with our child, with our children, and then, like, what can come from there as, like, a species? Yeah, just as a simple example, when I was 13... I built up, I, I was kind of nerdy and I was playing a, a trading card game and I built a website and I actually started making money off of it. And, but it was squashed by my environment, my parents. 
And I just imagine, you know, in a healthy uh, environment where people are encouraged to grow, then nature grows as much as it can. And I imagine what that could have been. I could have been an entrepreneur and, I, you know, obviously I'm still trying to do that, but I could have done that earlier. I could have had more experiences. I could have become a business owner at 16, who knows? And so that gets me excited because even in the the complexity and stress of my childhood, I was still trying to bust out of that. And then I just imagine, what if I was in a, a great environment? Then I would have. And it's it's like nature, if it has the right ingredients, then beauty comes out. And yes, a a plant can grow in a concrete jungle, but if you give it more sunlight and more soil and high, higher quality soil, it becomes a stronger, better tree. So I think this is, and yeah, I just think that's what excites me so much is watching beauty blossom. Yeah. When, when children blossom, then those collaborations and spontaneous systems in their own lives and in the world at large start to take hold. Um, I'm just thinking like I've been crafting like a vision statement I have for, for humanity and my own purpose. And yeah, one of the bits of that vision statement is like, I, I envision a world where, where children blossom is one of the words I use blossom <laughs> to become fully alive, fully alive, creative and collaborative to create spontaneous systems of voluntary experience. Yeah. Right. So, so much of the knee jerk reactions people have to, we'll just call it uh, politically philosophical claims about how humans could organize um, without certain institutions, without let's call it like we could have privatized security, for example, and we could get our needs met for safety and security and order and, and so forth with bottom up spontaneous systems rather than a monopolized centralized control paradigm and something like that or privatized privatized as a charge to it right there, but decentralized, um, market-based or whatever you want to call it, voluntary options. Um, people might have knee-jerk reactions about, well, that couldn't work because of this. And that's why I like to just bring it back to the psychological, um, because we can, we can put on our economics or philosophy hat and give answers to how this could work. Or the truth is what matters is the bottom up nature of it and integrating our inner child and then passing that healthy integration down to the next generation. Who knows what could happen? Who knows how the, what the world could look like? We don't know. Yeah. Like we can't, we, this is the whole idea of bottom up spontaneous systems is we don't know what humans are capable of creating to get our needs met when we actually let them be sovereign right yeah and also that's one thing that's also exciting is this power that we all have to create these little beings that become big beings that can transform the world that's why i want a lot of kids because i think the more the better the more potential to change the world yeah it's funny there's some people who are like subconsciously don't want their their child to quote unquote, surpass them in some level of some metric of success. And for me, it's the opposite. Yeah, I'm totally. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I want to give them such an incredible base 
and healthy environment where they're just like, they're off to the races in following their curiosity and creativity from the beginning and nothing's stopping them. Mm -hmm. And I just like, I'm just amazed with the possibility of like, what could they, yeah, what could they be creating by age 16 or man, like that would be incredible to see them fully, fully alive and, and unencumbered. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, man, that's, we, we covered some good ground, different, different uh, elements of all this. And I am hopeful. I remain committed as uh, an optimist in our in our personal power to be able to to do this introspective work, do the hero's journey, right, and joyously raise the next generation and watch the ripple effects take foot. And to me, it's like, why would you not take that approach? It, 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 you could you can make any claim there's any claim in the world anyone wants to give me about why the future is dire or whatever I, there's nothing you could tell you could tell me that's going to stop me from taking this approach yeah uh if if there's a an animal in the wild that's being chased maybe that maybe it's inevitable maybe it's very likely that that the it, it's going to become prey right does that mean the the that animal there's no point in running as fast as possible <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i'm i'm going i'm going all in no matter what yeah like i want to be fully empowered and i want to be fully alive and i want to create this joy in my life and see the ripple effects take place and i think more people start realizing their their inner power then the more this this can compound and we can actually there's a, there's a threshold if 5% of the population starts to embody these types of mindsets and do the self-integration work, well, now we're cooking, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, tell us any last thoughts, any other, any other um, words of wisdom or if you want people to get in touch with you, anything you want to say? Uh, well, I would thank you. I appreciate being on here and I'm really excited for this podcast that you're doing. I think it's needed in the world. And yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. And it means a lot for you saying that. And you know, you've you've talked about um, how you're like kind of become less interested in podcasts lately <laughs> because there's this is one of the few that I actually look forward I to. Know, I know, I appreciate that. It's like I'm like I've been a, I'm a seasoned podcast podcast listener for 15 years, and I've become a little bit. Uh, less excited about the the ideas that are being shared because people aren't getting to these roots. Um, so I'm trying to bring that to the world here because when we actually talk about first principles and philosophy, there's a lot of excitement and joy there. So yeah, I appreciate you coming on and thanks everyone for listening. And I hope this episode as well as the past three on questioning your parents is something that you can take as a package that's really valuable for you to to churn on and integrate and recognize that when you have that audacity to to that courage and audacity to turn look over your shoulder and see the the sunshine that's outside of the cave and say you know what i'm gonna 
That, that chasm is not as, as far as it seems. Let's go towards the sun and see what's possible. So thanks for listening, everybody.